You're listening to World Building for Masochists. And we're wondering why we do this to ourselves. Because you need a reasonable excuse to have everything in your plot hinge on a knife fight. Uh, I'm Matt Wallace. I'm Rowena Miller. I'm Marshall Ryan Maresca. I'm Cass Morris, and this is episode 110, In Your Leisure Time. Listeners, if you noticed that we had two episode 110s, uh, no, you didn't. You didn't notice that. We definitely know how to count and did not accidentally have two things that we called episode 110. It's all it's all, it's an all illusion. illusion. Frankly, I'm amazed it took us this long to, <laughs> to, to miscount. So. Yeah. I, I figure if you do good up to 100, then you're fine. And then like everything after that is gravy. <laughs> we've, we've bought ourselves like a slip. We can... We hit three digits yeah. before we messed up. I mean, we did better than most kindergartners. It's fine. Most. Most. Not, Not all. all. Not all. There's always that one kid. Like 76 percent time. I'll take it. I'll take it in math, actually. <laughs> and though I am psyched to dive into our episode, I think we have to take a quick break. For a thank you to everyone who has backed our Kickstarter um, at time of recording, Yay. we are hours from closing up the Kickstarter and we have cleared our threshold and that is all due to our listeners and friends um, making that happen. So deeply, I deeply amazing people. And, and, we, Very cool. and we can't wait to make this thing. So I know <laughs> it's, it's been so exciting seeing the people who've supported us, like spreading the word and talking about why they are so excited to get an anthology full of stories about naked travelers like i love the enthusiasm i'm so excited for it it's good energy and we're here for it our world needs some levity it really does truly we do what we can well matt i am so excited to have you here and i'd love to hear a little bit more about you to introduce our listeners to you um and your work would you mind doing the official who I am and what I do, bio thing. <laughs> the bio thing. There's so many more interesting things you could apply that phrase to than my life. You know, like biohazard. <laughs> could be the whole prompt, really, for this episode. Yeah. Let's create a world around that bio thing that happened. Bio thing. Uh, yeah. No, so yeah. Uh, as, as previously stated, I'm Matt Wallace. I write things. Um, many things. All different kinds of things. But I'm mostly here to talk about the ones that relate to uh, novels because that's one of the things I do um, I write a lot of uh, adult fantasy and also middle grade uh, for kids um, all over the map really I write video games I write uh, I write everything I've been just I consider myself a writer first and foremost just a writer and then all of the genres and labels and stuff that's for marketing purposes it's just you know I write that's what I do it's who I am it's what I've done for 15 years as a freelancer and I've written everything from doctoring uh erotic comic books to uh film school students uh, thesis scripts so uh yeah that's that's what i do but i'm i'm here because i had uh, a book come out recently called savage grounds which completed my first epic fantasy trilogy the savage rebellion uh trilogy Woo! thank you so much <laughs> you've trilogied <laughs> 
I trilogy. I've never uh, trilogied before, as far as I can recall, at least on purpose. But didn't you like <laughs> heptology before you trilogy? I mean, I, I, <laughs> I did. I did. A, I did. A, was it a seven book? They're over here. I'm looking. I'm looking over to count the books on my shelf because I can't remember how many of them there are. There's seven of them. Yeah, I did. I did. I did a seven book novella series, but this is my first uh, trilogy of novels, let alone big, thick, tome-like novels. Um, but yeah, and that's uh, that's what I do. Will you, will you tell us about about the trilogy that you trilogied? I absolutely will. So uh, you know, I, I've often described it as sort of um, you know the wire meets epic uh, fantasy. It's a uh, it's a story of this seemingly utopian nation that has everything all figured out. Uh, but of course, there's a seedy underbelly. I don't want to shock you. I know you didn't see that twist coming. Have it. When I said seemingly <laughs> utopian. And uh, it's about several uh, people in vastly different uh, levels and parts of the society who kind of on their own start unraveling everything that's wrong with it. And there's a lot of things that are very wrong with it. And uh, it all starts around a uh, secret army of conscripts that this nation has the, for their faraway resource gathering wars it's sort of their secret weapon to how they've expanded their empire so far and in addition to conscripting prisoners they also are using it as a mechanism for getting rid of dissidents getting rid of the disabled getting rid of anybody they deem unusable by society or a threat to their society and uh, once our many protagonists from their different perspectives get onto this things uh, heat up quickly and it's uh, it's sort of about deconstructing empire on that level Nice. And the covers are totally badass. <laughs> That's, you know, one so of the yeah, I feel like as, so, as soon as you've introduced the phrase secret army to a civilization, it's like, oh, something has gone awry somewhere. <laughs> yeah, someone, made a, someone here made a choice, and then other people kept making the choice. No, no one has a secret army for good reasons. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's never like the secret army of bakers who bring yeah. muffins to houses <laughs> it's, it's never the it's never the secret cuddle legion you know no, it's never, no. never the secret you know hugs and nachos legion though that would be awesome that would be that would be awesome someone might need to write that sign me up for that right now i was gonna now. say that'll be my next trilogy yes. it's gonna be the hugs and nacho trilogy that's what epic it. fantasy is missing more hugs and more, more nachos. nachos more nachos sure. indeed i'm Great. for it i agree so one thing we like to ask all of our guests, um, so we wouldn't want you to be left out, is what do you love about world building? Like, what's fun for you when it comes to building worlds? Uh, not having to write the actual. <laughs> no, that's valid. So valid. No, valid. I affirm you in all ways. Anyone who doesn't say that, I feel is lying on some level to themselves. Can't I just fuck around and make this stuff and not have an end goal? Yeah. Like. Dreams. Just a series of thinly linked cool ideas. Can I just cool idea and not actually have to write the book? Because that's really what it is. No, I mean, it's... I love everything about world building. It's, it's, I'm somebody who would rather world build than, than plot, for sure. Um, I just love figuring out systems and figuring out... More than systems, cultures. I love figuring out cultures and what makes them tick and what you know people dig and how they are and why they, why they are the way they are. And it's just, I don't know, I think on some level, it's, uh, it's sort of like playing with toys when you're a kid, man. It just, it gives you a sense of control. And I think all of us feel a complete lack of control uh, these days in our, in our lives and on much broader levels. Um, so 
And maybe you know, honestly, before the last few years, I probably if you asked me that question, I wouldn't I wouldn't have brought up that aspect of it. But I think I focus more on that lately because it's just it helps. It's therapeutic in a, in a way to construct you know, a world and uh, you know figure out how to fix <laughs> how to fix it by pro- how to fix our world by proxy, which I think all all, all of us are trying to do to some extent. Um, so yeah, I mean, I like I like all the geeky stuff about it, and then on a broader level, I just that's that's what I think appeals to me about it. Are there any parts that you don't like? Like, I will freely admit that if, if math enters the equation, like if I have to like calculate distances and how long, like the stupid transportation that I created, like will take. I hate that, but like some people love yeah. it. So <laughs> no, no, for sure. Uh, yeah, because like when you say, "What do you love about world building?" My first uh, answer is everything, but that's not true at all. Actually, when you, when you break it down, like no, I don't like math either. I hate. Um, I guess it's more of a trope than, but no, it is something you have to deal with. It's just that idea of like, you have to figure out unnecessarily new ways to convey uh, everyday real world ideas to people when you're creating a fantasy mm. world. It's like, mm-hmm. I have to change birthday to fucking life day or whatever. <laughs> can I curse on this? I don't remember. Oh, if I can fuck curse yes. No, you're yes. totally okay, fucking dead. Yeah. It's encouraged. In yeah, fact. okay, cool. So yeah, I have to change birthday to fucking life day because I can't just say birthday. Like, I know, and it's something I just kind of I started to eschew in fantasy and even when I'm dealing with editors who ask me questions like that I'm like it's because everybody fucking knows what it is dude can we just deal with it and get past it unless there's like a specific reason that's gonna add something like if I want to say mile I'm just gonna say mile I don't want to have to come up with a new word and then explain that it's the equivalent to a mile it doesn't add anything no one can it's like because on that level to me it's like well everybody's speaking English and that wouldn't fucking exist either so like there are some conceits I feel like we should just deal with so I hate having to break those things down and try to come up with new reasons and new and new ways to describe them for for what I feel is no reason. It's the mm-hmm. some things I feel unless it's integral to what we're doing, unless it reveals something about the world, which it can, it absolutely can. Maybe I'm just like clever enough to come up with that most of the time. I don't like having to waste time on things like 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 you said, distance and you know, simple equations and what do we call people's birthdays and all that and all that crap. Just that, the substitution yeah. for substitution's sake. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Like yes. if, if yes. just to let you know, this is a different world. Like if, if it's, right. if it's as a- if the map at the beginning wasn't a clue. There's this yeah. beautiful foreword in the novel length version of Nightfall by Isaac Asimov and Robert Silverberg, where it's like it's like, yes, this is another planet that has six suns, but like we're not gonna create like weird words for like miles and feet and shoes. And if you like that sort of thing, then just Imagine we did, but like we're not gonna do that. Do it yourself. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Write it. Let choo- us know what you came up yeah. with. Add a, yeah. It's a nice choose your own adventure right. aspect to add to every novel. Right. Like you guys, you all figure it out. Because yeah, it's like if it's if it's just a bunny, don't call it a flarple. Yeah, exactly. You know, unless there's a unless, unless there's a, a flarple is a specific and thing, and yeah. it's different enough that I need to know that it's different enough, and it's adding some texture, or richness, or humor or whatever like go for it but yeah yeah right and i mean i and like i said i guess you can see all of that uh, everything as an opportunity but it, it also at some level like you're already doing a lot of heavy lifting man you know you're already thinking of 500 things at once like give the author give the author a pass on a few things yeah. let him have let him have miles and, <laughs> well, you know, and money and, and or like, whatever like it's it's fine <laughs> and and the, the reader too right the reader's doing a lot of heavy lifting coming into a fantasy yeah. novel and so like being aware of am i making this unnecessary complex for the reader too like can it just be a birthday is that is that you know it's it's an offhand mention it's it's probably you know 
it's not. And again, you're just opening a big can of worms. Because then why is why why is it why is a cup a cup at that point? You know, it's like where are we drawing the line? You know, you have to. Everybody, I think, has to form when you're doing secondary world stuff and you're inventing worlds. I do think every author has to form their own baseline for okay, what are the common references I'm going to stick with, and then above that, what am I going to do? And the thing is, it's all incredibly arbitrary. Like there are no real rules to follow with it. It's just. What are the things that are important to you? What's going to be distracting? What's not going to be distracting? And, you know, past that, everybody, I think, just has to deal with it or not deal with it. Like, that's that's a choice, too. Like, are you really mad that someone's saying birthday in an epic fantasy novel when that's not a thing that would exist? Then I don't know what to tell you, bro. Like, it's, it, this, I, just ha- I just happily say, this was not the book for you. Exactly. Move on. I just imagine, though, like, doing, like, the full in-depth constructed language thing and then just writing the whole book in the constructed language and then having your dictionary <laughs> and then just Start appendix there's your dictionary and, and, yeah. and, and even Tolkien is like buddy yeah. <laughs> yeah. we need to chat I'm worried it's a five, 500 page book and you got a thousand page glossary yeah. you gotta read you, you, go with it. you need a duolingo Tolkien is like exactly. I like the energy but <laughs> Although who knows, man? Maybe you know, could create a whole app. Maybe you know, hey, make more money yeah. selling the app to translate the book it's than true. you do the book itself. Like who the hell knows? That, like I said, everything is an like, opportunity. That could be the realm of new yeah. media that we're looking that, at. That, that is. happy little duo owl is gonna <laughs> cross over into open fantasy. his own, open his own publishing house. <laughs> something, something. Joke about AI. <laughs> <laughs> so, was there anything particularly cool? from the trilogy that you want to like shout about in terms of the world building? Like, I mean, overarching big world cosmology thing or like anybody detail that you were like, I geeked about this and you all need to know about it. Um, I made the decision really early on that it wasn't, there wasn't going to be any magic or supernatural elements uh, to the world. And when I, when I kind of made that decision, it led me into more using you know pre-industrial science to solve things and that became a way bigger aspect of the book than I think I originally intended to and I had an immense amount of fun playing around with that like what what are medieval problems that you could solve reasonably with the technology available that uh, that people didn't think of back then or that I'm not aware people thought of back then um you know which led to more like honestly I went really wild with it. It became more like super science, you know, it's like, so, and I think I've seen that as described as like sword sandals and super science. That's what this, this trilogy is about. But yeah, I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed figuring out, you know, street lights and transportation systems and, you know, weird security systems with uh, kind of genetically engineered plants and, you know, selectively bred, bled, bred plants and things like that. It was something that, I didn't. I definitely did more of it than I needed to because I was just enjoying doing it, you know. So that like, I enjoyed the super science world building and that and how that sort of it also set a tone for the world too. You know, it gave it gave you this this kind of society that through doing all these horrible things, they were able to create this very technologically advanced for a pre-industrial society society, and it really flavored uh, the whole the whole world uh, very well. I thought, at least I enjoyed it. And I, you know, I'm not speaking for anybody else. This sounds fun. Indeed. Yeah, super science is always fun. It's fun. No, it's fun to play around with in like an evil fictional way, but not right. in the real world. The real world. I mean, I think like, people, yeah. Yeah. like most of the stuff we play around with in our fiction, it's like, I don't actually want this to. 
Oh, like fuck no. This. Yeah, no. In real life, you know, everything, everything, yeah, my book leaks to Oppenheimer in real life. I don't want that. That's nothing, you know, absolutely not. So we're going to talk hobbies and leisure and fun today, which I, I totally agree, Matt, that when you, you pitch this idea, it's like, we don't talk about this enough in terms of fantasy worlds, especially considering how much brain space and time this takes up for the average person right like that we think about and care mm-hmm. about but i kind of had like first i was going to start with definitions of words that are obvious or should be obvious but then we can pick it apart <laughs> and it becomes less obvious but like what is a hobby like what makes something a hobby as opposed to something else a side hustle <laughs> side hustle yeah <laughs> yeah well and that is right like Aww. i feel like we have this unique moment now that anything that is a hobby it gets monetized within six months and it does i fall into that a lot too like somebody will show me something cool they made and my first response is oh you should start a Etsy store and i have to stop myself and i'm like dude just let them <laughs> let them fucking create and live like why are you wishing a small business on them you fucking hate running a small business <laughs> but that is i think we're hardwired a lot more to think that think that way now one because of the ease of access to doing it and two because you have to do it to live because everything's so fucking expensive and no one pays you any money to do anything anymore. So yeah, no, but I, I do think, you know, it's a hobby definitely starts with a passion and a pursuit that you have that is not for specifically for monetary gain, or it's not based around the idea that you're creating a profession out of it. It's, it's an elective thing that you do purely for the sake of doing an elective thing. Um, and I say not prime because, like me personally, I um, I collect uh, toys, and I will also uh, sell toys to support my toy collecting habit. So I do side hustle doing that, but I don't. I didn't get into it, and I don't do it specifically to make money, or there's a primary reason to do it, but it's to feed the passionate pursuit that I have, which is what originally started me doing it. So I guess that money can be incorporated in that, but yeah, I get, you have to qualify by saying it's not your primary drive in doing whatever you're doing. Yeah, I, I definitely know people who, so. who make stuff, who will occasionally sell a piece that they make, like basically to, to buy supplies to make more stuff. <laughs> like it's right, like exactly. a cyclical thing. It is. I feel like there's an element of it too, of no one's making me do this. Mm. Like if someone's making me do the thing, it's either a job or it's a chore. Like, I, I still might not be making money off of it, but if somebody else told me, hey, you have to do the thing, then it's a chore. But if no one's making me do it, if it's the thing that I choose to do when I'm not having to do something else, either for another person or for money or whatever, then that's that's where the hobby world lives for me, I think. is It's in the, in the, the spare hours that we get <laughs> outside of our <laughs> responsibilities to family and to capitalism and, and all that all that stuff which makes them really precious because at least in our modern age we don't get that many of those hours truth no really it's the ultimate expression of agency when you think about it that's what hobbies are that's you owning your agency in the in the best way possible i was considering too that like okay so you have leisure time and like you can have hobbies but then you can also have like is there a difference between hobbies and like entertainment or being entertained. Like, is there a difference between a hobby that like, mm. does a hobby require an engagement of some kind and entertainment is more passive or is there a blurring of those lines that they, they can end up being one and the same? I don't really think there's a blurring of the lines. Like I think hobby is more about a consistency of theme to whatever you're doing. 
You know, entertainment can be anything that entertains you. It doesn't have to be a thing you consistently uh, consume or enjoy. It doesn't have to be a particular kind of thing. It can be anything. But a hobby is something that's repetitive. That's it's, it's it's something that shares a theme that you consistently partake in. You know, but absolutely they can converge. I, my hobbies entertain the hell out of me. It's yeah. you know, it's one. And I think it could be a dry. It is a driving force behind a hobby, but. There definitely is a delineation between the two on their own, and that's what I think it is. It's that it's that consistency and that shared theme and whatever you're doing. The only thing I was considering is like, okay, so just going to see a movie isn't necessarily a hobby. Like it's that's entertainment in some course. But if that's always your thing, if your thing is like mm-hmm. monster movies, yeah, and so you yeah. seek right. them out and you go to film festivals and that's like what you do, then that that ceases to be, I guess, you know, merely an entertaining diversion for the afternoon. It is, it has become a hobby becomes it has become hobby no but i mean and i also think you get to a point where maybe those definitions aren't so important you know i don't i don't think you need to put because at some point labeling stuff you know we said i mentioned this earlier mantra it's just in terms of like labeling writers and what they do it's I, I think it could be counterproductive and almost take the joy away from whatever you're doing so not that this isn't a valid discussion and dividing <laughs> defining the thing is important i'm just bringing that up as well as like i think it's okay if you don't want to put a name to what you're doing you know you don't want to have to sit and if you don't want to sit and think about is this a hobby am i a hobbyist in this pursuit do i have to like join reddit and are there accessories yes. i should own that there's, i don't know is there there's a checklist you have to complete is there pair that's what i'm saying yes. that's what i'm saying you know it's just do i have to go to HobbyCon? yeah exactly exactly do i have to and am i do i have to be on the committee like what's the level what's my level and you know it's just things like that i don't i like i like pursuits and i like hobbies that don't stress you when they start to stress you it's and you know labels and and worrying about your place within a community or within a system can be very very stressful and there's enough of that in the rest of our lives yeah Yeah. and i mean that gets into the whole toxicity of various fandom things and that's like a whole separate discussion i mean we can have that discussion if you want to i guess it's relevant to what we're doing (laughs) but no it's it's funny too because i feel like almost any hobby there's some corner of it somewhere mm. that's that's toxic like mm-hmm. knitting there's a corner of knitting that's like <laughs> it's it's when gatekeeping becomes part of it right like whether it's talking about fandom investment or yeah you're knitting or your I mean, costume creation things like that when when someone else starts telling you you're doing it wrong like that right. that adds a that adds a friction to it where suddenly it's like oh is this still fun yeah is this still a thing i want to be doing <laughs> Or do I, would I rather just retreat back to my little corner and have no one know that I do this thing if it if it means no, they're not sure. at least not telling me that I do it wrong? Yeah, I mean it's a lot. You know, that's one of the reasons a lot of people don't want to talk about things they like like on their social media or in public because they don't want to deal with other people jumping in to tell them why they're wrong. For sure, yeah, the gatekeeping is a huge part of it, and I I definitely think that that also comes from. I mean, you really boil it down for me. It's it's people who start to internalize their hobbies and what they love to the point that like that becomes their identity you know there has to be a mm-hmm. there has to be a health, healthy se- separation between who you are and what you love otherwise anytime you perceive an attack on the thing you love you're internalizing it as an attack on yourself and that's that's when things get really fucked up i think and that's where like hardcore trolls come from because most i mean some of them are just miserable people who just want to make other people miserable but a lot of it is just I feel you're not doing the thing I love well, or you are attacking the thing I love, and I have internalized it to the point where you are now attacking me, so I must attack you back. You can 
So that whole, and that's where the gate, that's a big part of where the gatekeeping uh, comes from, because that, that compels you to act in that gatekeeping manner of telling people what is right and what is wrong as far as the thing that they, they elect to love. Yeah. And, and I, I think too, not that you can't value a hobby and a hobby can't have values, but when those values start to approach like a religious rigidity, mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah, it ceased yeah. to be a hobby and now you're treating it more like a, a vocation or yeah, something like that, that it's, you know, and then expecting, and well, then the gatekeeping really kicks in when someone expects everyone else to treat it the same way. And right. quality too. Like hobbies, I think should be things that you're allowed to be bad at or only oh, okay absolutely. at. Like yeah, absolutely. I am an extremely mid embroiderer. I enjoy embroidering, but I'm never going to be great at it. And I'm okay with yes. that. I just do it for fun and for the soothingness aspect of it. But it's like, I, I, I could never assign quality to it. Well, and, <laughs> and then it's something that you aren't like, I'm not committing to becoming good at this thing. Yeah, I think it's good enough to enjoy it. I'll tell people, yeah. I play piano badly. That's the thing I do. I play piano badly. Like, oh, I'm sure you're right. not that bad. No, I like, am. No, I am. I'm really <laughs> bad. And I have no intention of devoting the time and discipline that it takes to get better. Because it's something I, I just do for fun. I noodle. It's fine. Yeah. And if you're someone who has like perfectionist tendencies, it's so freeing <laughs> to tell yourself, I'm allowed to only be okay at this and it's fine. Absolutely. If I tried to become good at it, it would start stressing <laughs> me out and stop being fun. <laughs> That's such a. I good don't know. Point. That sounds yeah. fake, Cass. I, I, <laughs> fake news. It does. It does sound fake. But no, man, I but love that though. Huge if true. Huge if it, true. It uh, it really puts me in mind of like one of one of my one of my hugest like pet peeves as as a gamer because uh, I'm a big gamer too is like people who argue against accessibility features in in video games. Like I just I lose I absolutely lose my shit when this comes up every time because they're like, no, video games have to be hard or they don't mean anything. And that's exact. That is like the the worst case scenario of what what you're talking about there. It's like, dude, you have internalized being good at this irrelevant thing so much that the idea that someone could enjoy it and not have to be good at it makes you feel like you're worthless. Like that is <laughs> such a fucked up mindset. But that's exactly what it is. It's exactly what. Or it that is. that there that's is just why. like the correct way to do it, or the incorrect exactly. way to do it. I remember I watched this video where we were talking about how it, I think it's in World of Warcraft. It's like it's like in this bit right here, you like you can split off to the left or the right, and they both take you to the same place. There is no qualitative difference between if you go left or right at this passage because you will get to the same place. And it's not like there's a trap to the left and not to the right or anything like that. But apparently, the correct thing is you go right, and if you go left, you're the <laughs> asshole, <laughs> like who is just doing it the wrong way. <laughs> Is this like the Robert Frost paradox? (laughs) 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 Two roads diverged and it didn't matter at all. Deal with it. Not at all. It's like, I love the Sid Meier's Civilization games. I have played them since I was 11. I love them. I play them on the easy levels. I will never play them on the hardest levels because that's not fun. Like, what's fun for me in that game is just like exploring a map and finding things and, and. building wonders it's like i don't want it to be hard i don't want it to be hard right <laughs> That's not why i'm doing this <laughs> there's no wrong way to do that you know like when i i i have never completed a single mission in grand theft auto i just like running around <laughs> you know i like trying to see yeah, if i can go places i'm not supposed to go literally never completed a single mission i've watched i watch other people do that crap because i don't want to do it and i just wish folks who are so against that could understand how like you talked about how freeing it could be 
It's like I'm married to uh, my wife used to be a semi pro uh, golfer, right? She's fucking amazing at golf. And I am terrible at golf. I love going golfing with her because there's no onus on me to be good at it. I can just, I can just enjoy myself. That's you know? great. It's amazing. I'm, yeah, I love being terrible at golf. I have a great time every time we go golfing. It's, it's, it's crazy. You know, and then I, I'll just tell the story very quickly because it's one of my favorites. I have uh, cousins who I love very much, but they're, they're both big jocks and their egos are very much tied to their performance in sports. We had never gone out golfing with them before. They're both huge golfers. They go every fucking weekend. We had never gone out before. I set them down before we went out, before they went out with me and my wife, and I told them, listen, she's better than both of you. She's not just a little bit better. <laughs> she's much better. You're not going to win. Just, like, accept it, and let's go get drunk and have a good time, right? My one, my one cousin, who's much more chill, was cool with that. He's like, all right. My other cousin just fucking laughs it off because he's also kind of a misogynist. We can deal with that later. <laughs> so we go out. You know, first time she, she, we tee off, she knocks the hell out of the ball. You see his face drop. She proceeds to just trounce him at every fucking hole. And, like, instead of letting go, he just grips tighter as they're going on. I remember we're on, like, hole seven or eight. And he's sitting there psyching himself up, like, this is the last, this is my last chance to catch her, man. I can, you can do this. You can absolutely do this. And I just, I wanted to shake him and be like, man, everything you're doing is wrong. (laughs) Everyone is having a good time but you. And he didn't catch her, by the way. I don't know if that was going to be intrinsic <laughs> in the story. And I think he's—I think it still bothers him. I think it colored his perception of her henceforth from that because he couldn't keep up with her in a very casual game of golf. And just that, yeah. Do we that, have the same cousin? <laughs> <laughs> we, should, we should either introduce them or never introduce them. Because <laughs> I got a cousin who can make Scrabble into a full contact sport. Right? It's just, and the thing is, because I'm able to separate myself from it, I had a great time that day. It was fucking hilarious. I laughed my ass off the whole time just watching him chase his tail. I had a great time. He had a miserable time because I was just enjoying the hobby for the sake of being out and the communal experience and getting fresh air. He had internalized being good at a very casual game. That like, It's not like he ever had any hope of going pro or anything. It's literally a pastime that you play on weekends for him. But he internalized it so much he couldn't he couldn't enjoy himself, and that to, that to me is just like a perfect metaphor for what we're talking about. Anyway, that's my uh, I love that story. I just love that story today. <laughs> no, that's a great <laughs> story. <laughs> so I feel like it's it's pretty clear that uh, our society supports and has institutions for and space for and all kinds of stuff for making room for hobbies. Maybe not as much as we'd like in terms of the time element sometimes, but like, what does it take for a society to have hobbies in it or is that the wrong question is is hobby and leisure something that's going to happen in society no matter what Mm, that's really that's actually a really that's a really good question um i think it's something i think it's one of those things that's intrinsic to to humans i really do you know in the way cultures will independently come to music or come to art it's it's i think it's tied i think hobbies are directly tied to that drive uh, to create, so I think it, some form will always will, some form of hobbyism and fandom will always spring from that because I think, in my personal opinion, those two things are very closely uh, tied together. Which is why you know fanfic is so prevalent, why cosplay is so prevalent. Like everyone, most people, not even say everyone, but a lot of people love to create around their hobby or around whatever they love. They love they use their hobby and they use the things they love as a form of self expression. So that I think being so intrinsic to humans, you're always going to get a form of that. On a societal level, I think you get into how much that is encouraged and valued by the system under which you live. You know, like there are, we have, you know, societies that flat out 
outlaw that stuff because they don't like where creative create creativity and self-expression uh, lead. So I do think it's intrinsic to people. And then beyond that, I think in a broader issue is just how much society encourages and accepts that type of creation and, and self-expression. Yeah, I remember reading like ages ago, um, just when early racist and um, like xenophobic anthropologists because they were they, they they didn't know any better <laughs> were first like exploring other cultures they had this assumption that like less technologically complex cultures would have less time and room for leisure and would be like spending all their time scrabbling together like food and things and it turns out it was like flipped like mm. like like yeah. the less technologically <laughs> complex the culture the less time they actually like actively worked in a day and the more time they had mm -hmm. for leisure and we're filling that with like creative pursuits and just socializing and you know all kinds of stuff whereas like in our you know eight hour workday industrial society that these anthropologists were coming out from like well you get your evenings maybe and a weekend day <laughs> and that's maybe you know and it was just it was like this interesting like flip the script on like what does it take to support leisure like in some ways it's like well Less might be more, in fact, in terms of what it takes to support leisure in terms of a society. No, absolutely. And I just, that hits on such, you know, because I think it's, those are lies we tell ourselves to try to deal with the fucking nightmare we're trapped in. Honestly, when you get down to it. Because it is. It doesn't make any sense. I literally was, I was tweeting about this earlier, man. I'm sitting in traffic earlier today. I'm doing 20 million things. A, a, a red light turns green. Nobody goes. And for 30 seconds, I'm screaming in my car. It's fucking green. The light is fucking green. I had this meltdown. And afterwards, I had a moment of silent reflection where I'm, I'm just like, you know, I don't think people are meant to live like this. I really think we've <laughs> we've bought into a very big lie. And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you really start to break it down. And... I mean, to me, I'm sorry if I'm all over the place. It's just what you're saying is like lighting me up. It's uh, to me, you can tie that like you know, primitive cultures having more time for leisure all the way to the debate we're now having over working from home and everyone trying to be forced back into an office. Like, it's you, scientifically there've been many studies proven that people who work from home <laughs> tend to be way more productive than they are at an office because at an office you're just trading your time for money. It has nothing to do with what you're actually doing when you're left to your own devices. A lot of people, I'm not speaking for everybody, we all have our own circumstances, but for me personally, a lot of people get their shit done a lot sooner because they know their time is their own and they can do whatever the fuck they want after they get that stuff done. So something you'd, you'd stretch eight hours into in a, in a work day at an office, you do in two at home because then you can do whatever the fuck you want. I think that goes all the way back to people who are like, I'm going to get all my hunting and gathering done before 10 and then it's fucking Miller time. Like, let's do this. You know, like, I really think that's that's a real thing and it's such... It's a big struggle we're having now. I have so many, I'm very privileged to get to work from home working in the video game industry that I do. But like, uh, my wife is a partner at a law firm and even she struggles with it. She's technically a boss there and she still has this push and pull with how much she can hybrid and how much she can work from home, how much she has to go in the office. Her mother is 70 years old. She works for a bank and she's been forced to go back into the office for no fucking reason. Like everyone I know is dealing with this, this struggle of like trying to be forced back into the into the structural box we were all in before COVID started and that kind of unleashing you know everybody realizing wait this is all kind of bullshit right like why should we be forced to sit in a cubicle yeah. for eight hours a day to do stuff I can do in two hours at home like it doesn't make any sense so well, in, yeah. in, in the grand scope of human history we've only lived like that 
for a very small amount right? of, of yeah. time. Like, that's not... <laughs> broadly normal for humans yeah, yeah. and for Absolutely. most of our history as a species i guess it asks that question when you're world building of like what what boxes do exist in the society to like force people into blocking their time in certain ways it's like really valuable to ask because you're right Cass. throughout most of history we didn't block our time in these rigid ways like we had ways of marking time we used time we did things with but it wasn't like this weird presentism that we have of a workplace versus a home life thing it's a great word you know by the way yeah no it's it's so wild i have moments where i really wonder if uh reality didn't just start like 100 years ago you know because it's so wild to me that (laughs) no like how everything has jumped forward to where we are now within a relatively short period of time yeah and how vastly different it is from the whole of human existence before that just doesn't make any sense to me a lot of the time well and i'm not sure the acceleration's been good for us no, like i don't no. i'm not sure our little ape brains no. were quite ready to handle moving oh at the speed God. we move at now i oh, so absolutely agree with that not. statement yeah i am convinced human intelligence was one of the worst accidental mistakes <laughs> in history like we are just not physiologically built to handle the capacity we actually have uh, intellectually and we have no idea what to do with it and that's how things have gotten so fucking haywire <laughs> just a bunch of apes just trying to deal with all this and all this capability that they have i i was re- i just remembered not too long ago when i was at my parents my parents for some reason are doing a rewatch of nypd blue which is a cop show <laughs> <in the 90s. laughs> um, but for, like for in one list- episode for our listeners who may not know it was a cop show in the 90s <laughs> listen I have, you know, we've talked to the kids who are on our Discord, and like that, that might not be a thing they know. But at one point, two of the cops are just talking. They're talking about their like after work hobbies, and it's like, you know, Dennis Dennis Franz is being like, yeah, I raise, I raise fucking tropical fish uh, on the side here, and he just does that, and he's like, he's got a whole thing about his tropical fish, and then and then uh, Jimmy Smith's is like raises like racing doves, and it's like, who is that was like this is almost from a foreign land to me of like you guys have full-time jobs and you're still raising fish and doves and you're spending your time <laughs> like how is that possible it's but highly like, specialized work you're doing there that's <laughs> but yet it was done it was talked about like this is just a normal thing guys do on the side like and that's but like that's cool but at the same time it's like that happened like <laughs> 30 years ago that was normal like that wasn't don't all, like <laughs> don't all gritty cops in the 90s raise tropical fish and, and race doves like, isn't that a yeah, apparently the big, so the big dove racing boom of the 90s nobody remembers that <laughs> it was geo cities and dove racing that's what we're all about god i bet we could convince the the gen z and the gen alphas that that's true we could probably <laughs> somehow convince them of that but no, Rowena, what you were saying, it's 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 a good thing to think about in building a world is like, what are the constraints placed upon the people in this world by work, by family, by responsibilities? And then where do they have that agency, Matt, that you were talking about, that the ability to define themselves? And is it shaped differently than it's shaped for us in our everyday life? Like, you know, if we go back to like medieval agrarian societies, you might have periods of the year that were really intense for your work and you might not have a lot of time to do anything else because you were working sun up to sundown on a long day and then you were tired. But in the winter, that's when you do your whittling. That's when you do your, your, your storytelling and your spinning and your, uh, 
painting of walls and things like that. It's an ebb and flow that's on a very different cycle than, than our modern life. So where does your invented society fit into these things? Where does it create these spaces for the give and take of responsibility versus leisure? Hmm. No, absolutely. I think those are really good. I don't, I don't personally, I don't think enough authors ask themselves, ask, ask themselves, I, you shouldn't, I used to know how to speak. I don't think enough authors ask themselves, what do my characters do when this plot isn't happening? You know, like I read a lot of, of books where I just, I can't, I have no perception of these people or idea of them outside of all the things that are happening to them, you know? And, and I think that's, that's, I wonder if that's part and parcel of the, the drive sort of in, in literature these days that anything in the book has to have a point and a purpose. And people interpret that as the point and the purpose must serve the plot and mm. move the plot forward. But it's like sometimes the point and the purpose is giving you an idea of who these people are mm-hmm. and, and filling in those corners and giving you the emotional resonance. It's not necessarily all plot driven, but I feel like that. I don't know, that drive gets misinterpreted in lots of ways and people leave out these little details of life, which are what gave me flavor. That's where you get flavor from. Well, and you have the folks who who will call any of those bits filler or such because like, yeah, yeah, because it didn't move the plot forward. <laughs> and, it, and it can tell you so much about the character and it can also tell you so much about like the world and how the world functions and what the world like values because we've thrown a lot of different hobbies out as we've been talking. But I think if like, if put in a corner, we had to say which ones of these are valued by society or given privilege or prestige, or it's, we could, we could do it right. Like the, the person who golfs on the weekend, like doesn't get weird looks at the office as often as the person who's like, I'm raises racing duffs. That's normal. Cass. I don't know what your problem is. If you're a gritty nineties, New York detective, clearly to true, qualify that. If, you, if you're not and you race stuff, you're just weird. It's just weird. But, like, weird. for many of us who are into kind of geeky, weird, you know, more niche hobbies, we certainly spend a lot of time over our lives, like, either explaining them or just not bringing them up because we knew what people were going to say. We're like, yeah, I'm really into Godzilla. That's what I'm into. Okay. And it's just, it's interesting. If you say you spent your weekend like wearing, you know, bright colors and painting your face and going to a field and screaming, like if it was a, if it was a football game, that's normal. And if it was the Ren Fair, you're a weirdo. You're a weirdo. <laughs> but essentially the same activity, Roughly. just just a different skin on it. Yeah. Like, yeah, different uniform. That's all. Yeah. It is. Yeah. But like poking, like why? Why is that? Why does the society value one more than another? Why is one more popular than another? And like whatever your society is is going to answer those questions differently. I mean, you could certainly write a fantasy society in which, in fact, dove racing is the preferred activity for most normal, you know, middle class people, not just gritty detectives on New York in the nineties. <laughs> well, depending on your fantasy world, that might tie into their communication system of like, well, you got to raise the fastest You made it dogs. a side hustle, Marshall. Now it's a side Monetize hustle. It, Marshall. Damn it. I like it better if it used to be yes. their system of communication. Mm. And now, like, now it's, you don't need it for that reason anymore, but people have kept doing it because they just really like their racing doves. I love that. 
I mean, I'm big into nostalgia to begin with, so I guess that appeals to those sensibilities and that idea of <laughs> not wanting to let impractical things go just because you have fond memories. Well, I mean, I will confess, I think pigeons are really cool. And, like, people raise pigeons, just like to raise pigeons, and I'm like, someday, I'm raising pigeons. And my husband's like, no, we're not raising any fucking pigeons. <laughs> You're absolutely raising pigeons someday, Rowena. I can see it. I can, I can envision it. The things they can do are amazing. <laughs> I'm just thinking the sheer amount of animal activity that is already happening in the house. I would just think, why draw a line? It's like there's already goats. Why draw and chickens and just get some chickens. Yeah, normal ish. You should pitch it like we could cancel our phone plans at that point because we'd have carrier pigeons. It would save us money in the long run. What about bees? Because then you got honey. I mean, no. Bees are a no-go for you? Bees are... We found your line. That's my line. Your line is bees. That's really depressing. I have friends, actually, who do raise bees, like, for funsies. And, like, the hives... Like, it's not infrequent for a hive to die. And I'm like, that just seems depressing. Like, you put all this work into the hive, and then it doesn't make it through the winter. And I don't know, man. That's a lot... I'm terrified of it, I still find That's a lot of investment to have in insects. So, I'm... I didn't know that. Now I'm depressed. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh yeah, colony collapse is real. It's very sad. Wow. So. Now we bump, now, we bump like, all of us. Now out. a moment of now a moment of silence. Moment well, of silence bees. for the bees. I'm just creating backstories for all the fictional bees in my head and the, all the dreams they had that'll never be realized. I do. I do have a friend who started beekeeping as just a hobby, but then she like realized it was like her absolute passion and like quit her job and went into bees She's and like that's what she does now. Apiarius. I mean, God bless her. Like, aren't all the bees also dying and we really need them? That's like a whole other thing too. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. So, yeah. Bless, bless her for doing that because we we need it desperately apparently, and no one's really paying attention to it on a on a wide scale. <laughs> <clears throat> if we really want to be depressing, right. the colony dies, and by proxy, our planet is going to die because of it. So we can just take it all the way to the end. All of, oops, all the egos. Sometimes you, yeah. Sometimes you just got to rush headlong into it so you can come out the other side. You know, fuck it. So, listeners, if you want to make bees your hobby, we encourage you. We, we support you in that. We, we also save the planet. We, uh, Cheer us up. Bees. We also support doves and pigeons, but for like yes. more selfish. But only for gritty '90s detectives. <laughs> for selfish reasons, we just think it's fun. <laughs> yep. It's not gonna yep. save the world. You don't know. I, you're the right. Will I, save don't. The world. I don't. There's know. some dove listening to this right now. I will prove you wrong. Yes. I will save yes, the world. It's the dove origin story. Yes. I love it. I am literally a symbol for hope, goddammit. <laughs> That's my new character in Dignit Dove. I like it. So I'm gonna, I like I it, yeah. My next, my next kid's Be a whole thing. thing. You should. Whole thing. Yeah. We need a, a watership down, but doves. <laughs> That'll be the title, too. It'll literally be called Watership Down, but with doves. <laughs> be my best seller ever. Watch it happen. <laughs> Because people will be like, I know what I'm getting into with this. And they'll exactly. buy it. I accept it. We live in a very literal society now, so that's just, you gotta lean into it, I guess. Well, I mean, where where do sports fall in on the, you know, hobby versus entertainment versus madcap? Lifestyle. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Hey, yeah, no, <laughs> like, they, that, like they write a unique line, I think. They really do. That's an, that's, that's an interesting question. And, and interestingly, like, always have. Mm-hmm. Because 
we go back to uh, my my Roman brain, of course, goes back to chariot races, um, and the huge. You want to talk about fandom, like those? The they were crazy, massive, massive <laughs> fandom around the the four racing teams in Rome and then in Byzantium, and people were devoted. I mean, absolutely devoted to their teams, and there was a whole. I mean, there's a whole. You want to talk about an economic system built around it? I mean, the gambling, the everything. Um, and it got tied up in politics too. The the Nika riots in in the era of Justinian was because of I mean it wasn't because of the racing, but it was all looped together. So yeah, there's something about about sports. There's something specifically about watching people like ride things around in circles. It's <laughs> <laughs> always been this, there. <laughs> I thought this the first time I ever went to a NASCAR rally, mm-hmm. um, which was just fascinating. I was just sitting there thinking like. This is somehow a very ancient experience I'm having, and also very modern because so much science goes into into race cars, which I had not known before. I I did some research on it, but like, it's like this is a very interesting occupation of past and present that I feel like I'm experiencing right now. But people get intense about it. Yeah, there's some very visceral about it for sure. And you make a well, I think it, it Matt, it might tie in with what you were saying earlier about like the line with hobbies and things about when you make that part of your identity, like mm-hmm. when the sports ball becomes part of your identity, when the team becomes something you define yourself by, is that where it starts to, yeah, when you, no, when you sure. own a cheese head and wear it, the team you watch, you start to talk about like as us or our guys. Uh, yeah. Or, yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> we got to beat them this weekend. It's like, really? Are you going out there, Joe? Are you, <laughs> you going to be out there, buddy? <laughs> No, man. I, it's a citywide yeah. draft. You know, you get your card and, you know, it's like jury duty. But like. Thought, now that would make sports more fun. <laughs> it's like, oh, fuck, I got to play this week. Oh, now, let's, damn. Let's, let's see. Let's see what the team's dragged up this week. Ooh. <laughs> no, it's a very like Harrison Bergeron kind of approach to it, um, which would be it would be very entertaining to me to watch. I don't know, man. I think with the sports thing, you just get into so much more of a, like, I, I, you know, and competition is another aspect that's tied up in there because I think that's something that's very intrinsic to people as well because um, we always find our way to it and always have in some form or another. But not everybody can compete on a level that society deems worthy. So, you know, you get that whole, you know, Joe Montana is my avatar thing. Fuck, I'm old. That is like, that was the first <laughs> sports figure I could that's think of. That's the one you of. reached for. Yeah, that's the one I reached Listeners, for. Listeners, so Joe Montana was a sports... <laughs> Star of the classic comedy, Ace Ventura Pet Detective, <laughs> Joe Montana. Um, no, but you, you really, I think, in a, in a, in a, seriously, in a way that, that doesn't necessarily exist in fictional uh, fandoms and, and hobbies that follow fictional characters, the way people make sports stars their personal avatars, I think, goes goes to a much deeper visceral level because that's embodying... A much more a real thing you know even when you're when you're when your fandom revolves around a fictional story or a movie or a show or a comic or whatever i think there is some acknowledgement internally or externally like this isn't a real thing like i i can't be superman but joe montana i'm going with it i'm fucking leaning into it joe it's joe montana all day he's my go-to but joe montana he's a real guy i'm a real guy i could be joe montana right like there's something 
where they be, they become your avatar in a in a very in a very much more real way to a certain segment of people. And I think that's where you get so much intense fanaticism uh, from. And it's the same thing on the team level with that, like what you were saying, Marshall. It becomes it stops being them and becomes us. You know, I'm part of the team. You know, they're 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 they have my city name in front of them. I live here too. We're all on the same team together. You know, it's just that it's really that kind of transference thing, I think. And sports just has that in a way that fictional uh, pursuits pursuits that are based around fiction don't on some on some very deep level. I think. One thing, Cass, that you mentioned that I think is worth like swinging back to is how much of an economic impact hobbies can have, Mm. like how much people can spend and filter back into their economy and how, you know, you have shops or events or, you know, merchandise, whatever built around serving this hobby. And I think that's like a really interesting thing that I, you know, we, we don't see as much of that, I think, in fantasy of like, you know. The one little shop in town that serves a specific hobby. Right. Um, when I was living in Stanton, there was a little store on the main drag in town. On the you know, main street in Stanton, Virginia is a, you know, comparative term, but <laughs> it was a little train hobby store. And this guy had been doing it. I mean, he's been doing. I think he's still there. Been doing it for decades, and now most of his stuff is like mail order. Um, you you never wanted to roll up to the post office and see him in front of you because he would always have like 30 boxes that he was mailing. You'd be like, man, I'm just leaving. I'll come back tomorrow. <laughs> like, he'll be here for two hours. But he did a thriving business off of what's now, I think, a more obscure hobby of, of little, making little train sets and stuff. But he's been doing it his whole life. So yeah, that's it's he's serving that need and will continue to do so i'm sure until yeah. until he no longer can like, I, I have friends who um they own a um shop does mainly online business at this point that it pretty much caters to historical costumers and most of their stuff is patterns mm-hmm. but they also have like obscure stuff like those paper like stiffened paper collars for like Ooh. edwardian men's clothing and like and they you know this is their thing if you if you need any, the people do steel boning for yeah, corsets yeah, and yeah. yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, listeners, if you if you need any historical costuming patterns, Amazon dry goods, not Amazon.com, as at least one person who calls them every day believes that they are getting Amazon oh. dry goods. <laughs> oh, tragic. Yeah. But but yeah, I mean, just the... or or you think about rent fairs and and the the number of people who make a living vending from fair to fair mm-hmm. whether they're selling costumes or they're selling boots or they're selling you know trinkets and stuff or they're selling corn dogs you know there's there's those vendors too that that economic engine exists because people have a hobby of going to rent fairs i mean heck the people who go from you know sci-fi fantasy con to sci-fi fantasy con mm-hmm. to work the dealer's room i mean <laughs> and it's a lot of that stuff it's like this is Especially the things, it's like, this is a thing that, st- you know, is not technically what the people who are here are into, but statistically, there's going to be a good amount of crossovers. Well, and it's so interesting to think, too, about, like, that that area where, in order to facilitate the hobby of some, it's the lifestyle for others. And, right. and who are, in turn, like, you know, it's it's just, it's interesting how it all sort of weaves together. Yeah, or like no. I mean, it really gets to just like if you gather enough people together, a culture and an economy will just form naturally around it. 
sort of like whatever that is, whatever the exchange system is, that's going to be part of it. It's just that's very interesting. I just honestly I hadn't thought about that before. It's just very interesting. And I'm just thinking how Khan itself is, you know, oh, yeah. it's really its own little you know, world. Yeah. 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 It's a world building seminar uh, in action. <laughs> yeah. Because it, it has all of it has all of the aspects. It has all it of does. the aspects. It's got yeah. politics. Mm-hmm. It's got politics. rules and okay. regulations. Yeah. Established mm-hmm. norms. Environmental concerns. Like it's all built. Yeah. Like, eco- there's an ecology. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's economy <laughs> and ecology built all in there. Really, it's uh, it's, it's wild. I really, never want to go to one again now. To be honest. With you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Who wants to get involved in all of that? No. The, see, whereas the opposite, I'm thinking like. How do I incorporate con culture into a secondary fantasy world? That's true. <laughs> you never really see that, do you? You never, you never see that because we form cons around those worlds. <laughs> yeah. Like, so the idea, you know, what would they have? Would they have a con like dedicated to like our world? Like, would that be their fa- this fantasy world with nothing is you know fantastic? There are no battles, and everybody just kind of goes to a regular job every day. I don't know. That's an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, you don't, you don't see cons in epic fantasy. Yeah. Office really space con. <laughs> Office space <laughs> But in theory, if you're if you're incorporating some kind of hobby into it that like people do, in theory, people will want to get together to celebrate that in the mm-hmm. same place and and I don't know, race their doves against each other or something. <laughs> The gritty '90s cop dove racing convention. It's all gritty '90s cops who are in the doves. They're all loose cannons at the same time. <laughs> oh, so that could be so messy. Oh. It would. A lot of property damage, you know. And then the one person gets killed, like an and they all captain. they all have. They're to, all trying to solve the murder. Yeah. They're all trying to solve they're the all murder. Re- they're all <laughs> somehow related to the person who got killed, oh my God. and they all have to take vengeance. Oh. <laughs> Oh, this is great. No, I love it. I love it. We've got a future summer comedy hit, I think. (laughs) The loose cannon cop invention. I like it. Well, and it's even like, too, I mean, I feel like we think of some of the stuff as being like modern, like a con being modern. Mm -hmm. And a con, the way that we do it, is sort of modern ish. But I mean, people have gotten together to geek out about their weird hobbies for quite a long time. I mean, you know, things, things like exotic animals were a thing that people would like, you know you're raising pigeons and breeding pigeons well how do you think that you learn about the cool fancy pigeons as you have pigeon fancier societies that get together and look at pigeons together i mean that's it's a rollicking good time if it's 1850 is all i'm saying (laughs) (laughs) well i love all these details too because if we're thinking about including these in in our stories in our books these are things that can be the setting right like it doesn't necessarily have to be your plot engine Although it would be be very funny if it is. (laughs) Very funny. But it can also just be the place where something else happens. That, you know, we have been strolling by the Pigeon Fanciers convention when somebody drops dead. And like, oh, no, now we got to deal with this. It can be the stuff happening in the background. It can be the stuff happening while a conversation is going on. And that's always where I love to include it. Is like, they're having this conversation that is about something completely, completely else entirely. But they are playing a dicing game that is you know their hobby it's what they do in their leisure time um it doesn't have to be significant but it gives that flavor to the world and and to these people and shows you a little more of who they are and what they're doing even as they're they're having their plot relevant conversation they're doing non-plot relevant things with their hands i guess you know like they're fancying pigeons they're fancying pigeons (laughs) And I want to read Murder at the Pigeon Fancier's Division. 
That sounds fucking awesome to me. Listeners, that's a challenge that's been thrown down. <laughs> Somebody. Do it. Absolutely. Do someone do it. And it's also how your characters like individually relate to the world around them. Like, you know, I think you can learn a lot about a character from is this character doing my fantasy world's equivalent of golf on the weekends or really into the Green Bay Packers or loves Godzilla movies and collecting figurines. Like which, where do they, you know, how do they fall out? Do they, do they crochet or do they make, you know, enormous knitted murals that they drape on the side of buildings? Like how, how, how do they think about their leisure time and how their leisure time interacts with the world around them? No, absolutely. That reminded me, I was at, uh, I, I attended an event, it was um, Premi Mohammed and uh, Nino Cipri uh, for Nino, one of Nino's books. And they're two of my favorite authors, absolute favorite authors, and two of my favorite people as well. And, you know, you go to an event with, your, if you're an author going to events, I'm sure you all know, it's like, you feel this sort of sympathy for them because you've been through what they've been through. So I always like to ask questions because one of the things you worry about is like, you're going to get to the end and no one's going to ask any questions and you're feeling like no one gives a shit. So I always ask a bunch of questions, and one of the questions I asked was uh, about each of their main characters in the books they were talking about. What do you think their favorite sandwich is? And when delightful, the, I know, right? And the, delightful. The thing, it was and it annoyed me a little bit when the moderator read the question. They started off, and they were a lovely, a lovely person. I'm not criticizing, but when they started reading that question, they started off very into it, and then got by the end, they were almost deflated, like they thought it was like a joke question, like I was making a mockery. Of the proceedings. No, no, I really it's wasn't. A great and the thing question. is, and the thing is, I knew, and I was completely right. This is a story about how I was right, basically. I knew that when Premi and Nino answered the question, they'd be really interesting answers, and they were like they really made them both because they hadn't thought about that before. They hadn't thought, you know, as much as I, I know they're into building the characters, they hadn't thought, what's my character's favorite sandwich? And they started like revealing things about them. You know, Premi's like, well, this character's kind of a basic bitch, so it'd probably be just like you know a basic ham and cheese sandwich because they're very big. <laughs> You know, it revealed it revealed yeah. character, and that was like that's the. But the thing is, I wasn't. It wasn't a joke. I really wanted to hear that answer because I knew it would be entertaining and insightful. Those are the things that interest me. It's like you don't have to tell me what your character's favorite sandwich is, but like I want to know who they are. I don't just want to watch them mm-hmm. do things mm-hmm. and not. And you know, I'll I'll caveat that by saying like there's no right or wrong way to do this. If you want to tell a brisk story that's all about plot. If it's entertaining, I I'll, I can get into it. Like, that can be well done. I'm just talking about me specifically. I always enjoy a story more when I really kind of get to know the people and care about them. And that's just one of the best ways I think there is to get to know somebody. You know, what they like, what they don't like, their preferences, the things they're really passionate about that have nothing to do with the story that, that you're telling. You know, it's just not enough. You know, we're just not, I don't think we're trained enough as authors are really taught to, to do that as much as we mm-hmm. should. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, you don't need, you know, I don't, Nino and Premi don't need to write a paragraph in their next book about their characters making a fucking sandwich. But like, but if they do, we know why. But if they do, we know <laughs> If they do, they're okay. armed with the information. and you know. Exactly. But no, that's what, Marshall, that's exactly the point I was trying to get to is like, it helps you to know what their favorite sandwich yeah. is. You don't have to include it. I like knowing those things about my characters. I like knowing those things about my world. You know, I like mm. knowing stuff that maybe it'll never make it onto the page, but having that for me allows me to draw these things more vividly and make connections that you may see something else in the world that relates to this thing I don't even mention, but that's where it came from. You know, it just 
having that as part of your you know your sort of your sort of personal like concordance about things i think is very helpful as a storytelling tool yeah. you know it's just it's not something that i think enough of us enough of us do because we get so hardwired uh by you know plot and movement and action and you know fucking beat every 10 pages or whatever the hell it is, you know all that stuff <laughs> well so. and it's nothing you bring it up to it's like i feel like we, we definitely get it beat into us for fiction that it, this is that mm-hmm. what we know about characters should be utilitarian to the plot and thinking about it, I'm like, oh, God, we do that in real life, too. That when we meet mm, someone, yeah. the first thing that we ask is like, well, what, what, what do you do? do? What do you do for a mm-hmm. living? And it's like, God, you know what a better question would be? What's your favorite sandwich? I would know so much more <laughs> exactly. about someone if they described their favorite sandwich to me right? than if I know what they do from <laughs> nine to five, you know? Yeah. Because, I mean... So I, I do feel like at this point in capitalism, so few of us are doing jobs that we like identify with, but sandwich yeah. is personal. You know? yeah. We stop asking people what their favorite dinosaur is. Yes. yes. That's a great question. I was once in the checkout line um, at the grocery store and I, for some reason there was like, I don't know, like a magazine with a dinosaur. And I was telling my kids, like, when you're a grown up, no one asks your favorite dinosaur anymore. And the cashier Aww. overheard me and he asked all of us our favorite dinosaur. And it was like, Yay. it made my day. <laughs> That's Delighted amazing. Me. It's a good cashier. It's great. What did, what did everybody say? I need to know now. I can't continue this conversation <laughs> until I know. My, my, I'm sorry. My favorite dinosaur is the Ankylosaurus. Nice. That's my favorite. Parasaurolophilus. With the head. Yeah. The cool head. Always a fan of the Stegosaurus. Because, you know, armored. Style. Yeah. The Thagomizer. The Thagomizer. Never interesting. <laughs> I nice. love the Thagomizer. I love a Triceratops, and I love the one that, like, uses its head as a battering ram, whose name I always forget. Pachycephalosaurus. There you go. Yeah. I, I yeah. really like dinosaurs. <laughs> I love it. That's amazing. They're, they're actually one of my hobbies. They're... Dinosaurs are awesome. <laughs> Still fond of the Brontosaurus, even though it never existed. Yeah. It does again. Exactly. I told you this. Oh, you can't. We've had this conversation. <laughs> no, you We've didn't had this tell me this. conversation, Marshall. You, you yes, did not give me this again. critical information. I am certain that I have. I would not have let you like I'm so glad to know they existed again. Yeah, they, they like reclassified yeah, you know, and realized, like, oh, wait, we do have like the right bones and the right head. So that one's an Apatosaurus. <laughs> this one. That one's a Camarasaurus. This one's a Brontosaurus. Which, you know, it was really Thank sad God, for the Brontosaurus to, like, not only go extinct, but also for a while there not be real. <laughs> I know. That's extinct what and imaginary. Occur- that's what always occurs to me about that is, like, they didn't know what their fucking names were. Like, we came up with all of this. So, you know, if one just showed up on the street, you'd be like, oh, hey, you're a Brontosaurus. And they'd be like, what? I'm a what? <laughs> Whatever you say. Don't, okay. My name's, don't def- my name's Steve. Don't define me. My name's Steve, man. Like, what? All these weird made up words you people have for us. That's so crazy. <laughs> it's just very funny when you think about it, really. Like, we spend devote so much time to this. And I mean, the study is totally valid, but I just mean that idea of like this really rigorous classification system with all these different names. They're all completely made up and do not actually apply to anything that existed at all because they have no idea what happened. I just would like to explain that to species of animals sometimes. Like, just try to explain to them all the trouble we've gone through to give them made up names that they don't know. Dogs would be cool with it. Dogs would just be like, sure, that sounds awesome. Because dogs think everything is awesome. That's, That's why I love dogs. Yeah. That's true. Anyway, this has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> no, it's great, though. Very important. <laughs> That's what this podcast is about, having the important conversations. Exactly. There you go. Exactly. <clears throat> just in the sheer, in how many fancy world do just people have a bunch of dogs? I mean, 
just on that level, I don't think there's enough dogs in fantasy world. I completely agree with that. I love dogs, and I've written so few of them into stories, and I realized that recently, and I was like, my I think, no, my wife actually asked me that. I was like, why aren't there more dogs in your stories? He fucking loved dogs. And I realized it's because I didn't grow up reading fantasy and science fiction that had dogs mm. in them. It's like that hardwiring. There was no yeah. room for them in my hardwiring about how to tell stories. That's fucked up. There should be dogs in every story. I judge stories that don't have dogs in them now, including my own. Because, um, you know, you can have as many dogs as you want to in fiction. How can you not have one dog? At least one. Come on. What are you even doing? Why are you even here? You write a 500-page book and there's a one dog in it? <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's the truth. And that, I mean, that, it, it, that really kind of, that hardwiring is such a big aspect of these things. Like, you grow up reading, like, classic, whatever the hell you want to call it, sci-fi or fantasy. And a lot of it is just so, so plot-centric and so archetype over you know, char- characters actually being people. And so you you were just never taught consciously or subconsciously that like, it's okay for characters to be real people and have actual lives and have interests and pursuits that have nothing to do with saving the universe, you know? So it's a big part of where it comes from. And I mean, that's definitely changed so much over the past, you know, few years, decades, whatever. I have no sense of time anymore. It's all compressed down to meaningless nothing to me anyway but it is changing which is nice but if you're old like me and your only sports reference is joe montana you grew up reading <laughs> fantasy and sci-fi fiction that was very bereft of hobbies and fandoms and dogs so i think dogs count right yeah yeah no dogs totally yeah. count certainly as as you know one of those things that adds texture to a yeah, world really, right yeah. it doesn't have to be a plot-centric no. dog can just no. be a dog. And like you can, you can no. even have horses that don't serve a purpose. Because right. you get yes. lots of horses, but like you don't have like you don't have like horse girls in fantasy who just like like horses. You don't really get much like barrel racing in fantasy either, or dressage. You just get horses that the purpose is to move someone from point A to point B, and maybe right. carry some hero into battle. But you don't ever have like a pet parade where someone dresses up their horse. There should be a pet parade where everyone dresses. There should be a horse costume contest. Why the hell not? Where is that? <laughs> where is that? Now I'm just like, what costume would I put my horse in? Like my, my your brain goes, your brain goes wild with that. What would, what kind of costume would a horse look really good in? You could build a killer mech around a horse. That'd be awesome. I always like it when people at cons do the mech suit around them, and then like maybe they'll put a baby in the power loader from Aliens. Like I always enjoy that. So yeah, you could build an awesome like Robotech mech around a horse. It'd be amazing. But probably not for the horse, though. You can make it light. You can make it light enough. I'm going way too far with this. <laughs> I, I was going to say, Patrice Serath's Gordathwood and Red Gold Bridge is literally like an adult portal fantasy about just horse girl who like goes to another world with her horse. <laughs> oh, for real? I haven't like, not up on that. I'll have to put Here it on my go. list. That's awesome. That's what we need. The world needs more of that. No, it's funny. In uh, in Savage Ground, there was a duck in the trilogy. In the trilogy that I am supposed to be here for, to promote, but I haven't <laughs> nearly enough. There you should have led with the duck. Oh, my God. I should have led with the duck. Why did I leave? There is. There's a duck. There's a duck named Greenfire. And he was a plot device in the beginning of the first book with one of the characters. But then after he ceased to be relevant as a plot device, I realized when I was writing the second book, wait, she still has a duck. So... <laughs> The duck is in all the books now just because I realized that I had, by accident, added a pet, even though I'm not hardwired <laughs> to do that. And I was really excited when I remembered, oh, right, she has a duck. I can just have the duck be there now. 
she can feed the duck. She can pet the duck. The duck can do cute things in the background while plot things are happening. So yeah, the ducks in the other books. Past the first book, there's no reason for the duck to be there. But once you have a duck, why would you stop having a duck? Why would you? Yeah. Why would you get rid of the duck? (laughs) Yeah. So that's, it's cool. Like it started as a plot device, but then it was just a duck and there's nothing wrong with that. It's a murder mystery series I read that the central character just keeps acquiring more dogs because, (laughs) like accidentally... Right. Often because they're the pet of somebody that got murdered. And oh my god, that's just, amazing! And she just ends up like taking care of the dog because no one else is taking care of the dog. Um, that's genius! Oh my, it's, I'm, it's I'm fantastic. It's jealous of how good that like, is. That's and as the book, like, and it's, a, it's a whole series. Like, and she's got like I'm not even sure it's six or seven of them by now. Oh my god! <laughs> like, and that's they appear all the time. They're not plot centric. They're just hanging out at home in between her investigations and stuff. But yeah, so wait, just what's keeps getting more of them. What series is that? I don't. I don't know. The um, it's it's the uh, Veronica Speedwell series. Okay. There's a lot, but it's it's Deanna Rayborn's um, Veronica Speedwell series. Deanna Rayborn. It's historical mysteries, That's... Victorian era, but she's oh, it's Victorian era too. The Victorian yeah. era docs. That's yeah, it's awesome. like 1880s or something. I love it. That's amazing. That is such a good idea. Just keeps I... getting dogs. Yeah. <laughs> from dead, mostly I... from dead people. <laughs> I am very envious that I did not know that. That is so I good. mean, somebody has to take care of those very good boys. I mean, if they're person They do. They absolutely do. <laughs> I hope the dogs never start to wonder if she's a carrier because she keeps... It's like the Jessica Fletcher <laughs> yeah. thing. It's like, how does she keep finding that, all the dead bodies in this small town? That woman is a jinx. All right? Like, you, you see yeah. Jessica Fletcher walk into your party. It's like, no. it's This isn't going to end well. I mean, that's... That's the, the whole deep concept behind Mer Lafferty's new series. Mer Lafferty. <laughs> yeah, station attorney. Yeah, Mer, that was yeah, that's that is a Jessica Fletcher as character who is so over it they literally go to space to try to get away from stumbling across murder. And then of course they stumble across murder in space. Those books are fucking genius. I recommend this to everybody. Mer's amazing. Mer's amazing. Highly wreck. Well, before we um, completely crash our listeners TBRs, um, we always like to end our guest episodes by asking you to leave us a present, a little bit of trivia to throw into the world that we are co-building and uh, putting out an anthology about, yay! Um, yay. <laughs> so that we have a little, a little piece of you in our world. Matt, um, can, we, can, we, can we ask for our present or is that too gauche? Oh no, it's not. It's not gauche at all. I don't really know what gauche means, to be honest with you. I never. I've heard that word so many times. I never actually looked. It at the technically definition. means left, which left. Yeah. That doesn't really encapsulate no, doesn't help, the way people it? use no. it at all. So I'm sorry. Refresh my memory. Is this a piece of personal trivia or just a piece of random? This is something trivia? like that we can fit into our fantasy world in some way. So we've had um, people give us like there is a part of your world where there are. Um, three martial arts schools that are in competition with each other, or there's a part of your world that has magical fossilized crap, which is one of my favorites. Um, or there's a oh, part no. of your world that has, like, you know, like, and, and it can be related to this episode, or it can be completely something else. Um, I mean, I feel like it should be related to this episode. Okay, so I'll go with, maybe this is a little basic, but I'll go with it. Okay, so there is... A toy store owner whose son has started a rival toy store directly across the street because they disagree on what era of toys is superior to the other. One is a vintage nice. guy and one's a modern. I love it. I like it. I, I like that. it. Oh, that's, that's so, so much room for, yes. for potential. It really does. There you go. Somebody run with it. I love it. 
Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and for talking with us and for being willing to talk about hobbies because this was this was great. This was really fun. <laughs> no, no, I super enjoyed it. You guys are fantastic. I really I appreciate being invited on. Uh, you do a great job here, and you're all wonderful people. So thank you. Hi, you. Thanks for listening to this episode of World Building for Masochists and letting us help you overcomplicate your writing life. If you want to know more about your hosts and the fantastical books we write, links to all of that information is on our website at worldbuildingformasochists.podbeam.com. We really hope you liked this episode. If you did, please do take a minute to tell a friend, shout about us on the internet, or leave a review on iTunes. If you've got questions or just want to tell us how cute we are, there's a number of ways to contact us. We're on Twitter as at WorldBuildCast, and our email is WorldBuildCast at gmail.com. We also have a Discord chat room linked in the About the Show page of our website if you want to come chat with us and other fans of the podcast. We'd love for you to share the world you're making and help us all build until it hurts.